Hope everyone received a warm welcome. Uh, if not, let me welcome you. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, really glad to be worshiping with you this Sunday. Now let me introduce to you Bill Thornton. And so when people ask me as a person who regularly preaches, people will ask me, well, who do you listen to on a regular basis? What podcast? Do you listen to Tim Keller? Are you like a John MacArthur guy? Do you listen to this person or that person? And I say, the person who I would choose to listen to is Bill Thornton. And, I'm, and I mean that when I say it. The older I get, the more I want to know and listen to someone who walks the walk. There's a lot of people who can talk about Jesus, but for those people who have in an embodied way served him and loved him, I've seen Bill love his wife. I've seen him love his kids. I've seen him love the church, and I've seen him love this neighborhood. And so when I took my sabbatical for three months, I went to F Street to listen to Bill preach to me as someone who walks the walk. And so uh, I'll let him tell a little bit of his own story, but one last thing. So um, our church, uh, F Street Neighborhood Church and a couple other churches from our neighborhood gather every first Wednesday of the month, our staff gathers to pray for the neighborhood. And this last time that we gathered, I sent a text to everybody in the group that said, I was walking over to F Street to pray, but I'm working out something in my soul, and I just kept walking, so I'm not going to be there today. And Bill knows that we've been down a pastor for a while. So that day, later on that afternoon, I got an email in my inbox that said, Ben, I know you've been carrying a heavy burden, and if there's anything I can do to lighten it, I would like to do that. Would you mind if I came and preached sometimes this fall to give you a couple of days off? And man, that was such a lovely gift um, from F Street to be able to, to give us bill. So you'll hear from him today and a couple other times this fall. And just know that you're hearing someone who walks the walk and who had determined in his heart that he wanted to bless me and this church. And so would you please give him your full attention as he comes to bring you God's word. Good morning. Thank you, Ben. That was a really nice introduction. Uh, Let me just say before I get rolling here, You guys are great congregational singers. I love it. You know, I visited other churches and sometimes, and I, you know, like it's stuff going on up here and there's like nothing going on out there. But I loved hearing your voices uh, praising God this morning. That's one thing, one way in which your church and our church, the F Street Neighborhood Church, are quite alike. I love that about our congregations that we praise the Lord with our voices. I'm one of the teaching pastors at the F Street Church. I've been doing that the last three and a little over three years. Uh, But Marcia and I, who she was here at the early service and is doing children's ministry at our church uh, during this hour. Uh, But we've lived here in Lincoln for 41 years and we love the city. Uh, Of course, we remember 
the time when Grace Chapel was planted. And um, it's great to see what God has done, especially bringing Grace Chapel down here to our neighborhood. We praise the Lord for that and are grateful that we can be partners uh, together. We pray together for our neighborhood uh, once a month, as Ben uh, described. In fact, there is a couple from, our, from your church who's leading worship over at F Street because our regular worship leader is out of town this weekend. So I love that back and forth kind of partnership. Uh, we're in this thing together. And I just want you to know it's an honor for me to be able to bring God's word to you today, or at least to attempt to do that. We're going to be in John chapter 13. If you are one who likes to use the Pew Bible, it's on page 900, at least in the Pew Bible that I was looking at over there, and uh, assuming that you have all the same edition. Most of the verses I'm going to be referring to are also going to be on the screen. But today I want to talk to you about reaching out to our neighbors. That's what we have in common. Uh, How we can help folks who are outside of Christ to be able to see and know the love of God and to embrace the truth that is found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. I found that in the process, we should give attention to some very, very practical ways in which God gives to us the opportunity to care for people, to attend to their needs, whether those be physical, relational, or spiritual. In fact, I do believe that it is through such practical kinds of ministry that we reveal to those outside of a relationship with God his heart toward them. And that this is, in fact, the way to open the door to those deeper spiritual conversations that we long to have with folks. When we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, as described in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I'm sure you've also observed, as I have, that there were at times thousands of people, multitudes is the word the Bible uses, who followed Jesus, who heard him teach, who observed his miracle power. But the sad thing is, is that the vast majority of them, almost all of them, followed him from a distance. There are really only a few, the disciples and maybe a handful of others, had opportunity to really get close to him during his earthly ministry. And it is with that group of people, the disciples, and one of those occasions in the upper room with Jesus the night before his crucifixion, that Jesus taught them an important object lesson about the place of service when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourself. We're going to begin in John chapter 13, verse 1, where the apostle records these words. Now, before the feast of the Passover, 
When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Referring to this section of John's Gospel, I'm I'm speaking of chapters 13 through 17 that are some of the most memorable scenes of Jesus' life and ministry, particularly that night before his crucifixion. The commentator William Barclay has said, there are few incidents in the gospel story which so reveal the character of Jesus. Help us understand how he felt about God, about his mission, about those he came to save in such a poignant way. Notably, it begins with servanthood as described for us in John chapter 13, where Jesus teaches us that spiritual character is disclosed in the way we serve. That's what we want to talk about today, what it means to serve with love. First of all, to note that serving with love is a part of what it means to serve God. In verse 3, John says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. John says Jesus knew three things that night. First, he knew his identity, who he was, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, who would be slain for sin. Jesus, that night, knew who he was, and he knew why he had come into the world. To seek and to save the lost, is what we read in Luke 19, verse 10. To redeem for himself a people who would be precious in his sight. He knew his identity. He knew his mission. And he also knew what was ahead of him in the coming hours. The suffering that he would face. The cross where he would die. How he would be vindicated on the third day, being raised up from death. And ultimately, 40 days later, to ascend into heaven, to be at the right hand of the throne of God. It is in the security of that knowledge, John says, that Jesus was about to show his disciples that serving with love is what it means to serve God. You see, it was a lesson that they desperately needed to learn. In Luke's gospel, we're told that on this same night, at this very table, Luke 22, verse 24, that a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Just days prior to this, the mother of James and John had come to Jesus begging this favor of him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom, Matthew 20, verse 21. 
On both of these occasions, Jesus, if you look at the context, attempted to correct their thinking. Unfortunately, a manner of thinking that is still prevalent, not only in the world today, but also, unfortunately, too often in the church, where we think that leadership is about who's up front. It's about who has the title, who has the position, ultimately who has the power. Now Jesus is about to give his beloved disciples and us a demonstration that serving with love is a part of serving God. Not only that, but that serving with love begins with seeing needs that are around us. In the case of Jesus, verses 4 and 5, John tells us that Jesus rose from supper, that he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When nobody else in the room noticed, Jesus saw the need. The disciples, I think we can assume maybe it was because of pride, but for whatever reason, were unable to notice that no one had tended to this important task, we should take note that it was a person, Jesus, who was secure enough in his identity, in his mission, that he took on the role normally reserved for a domestic servant, a household slave, when no one else would serve Jesus embraces the task at hand and washes his disciples' feet. As he got up from the meal, John tells us that he laid aside his outer garments. That word is the very same word used in John 10, verse 15, just a few chapters earlier, by Jesus to describe the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sake of the sheep. And so because of that correlation, there are many who see what Jesus did on that night, the washing of his disciples' feet, as providing a picture of what was coming the next day when he would go to the cross on Good Friday, where he would address the greatest of all human needs, our need for a Savior to save us from our sin. And in the process, we get a glimpse of how serving with love always involves paying a great price. Of course, in verses 6 and following, we can't help but notice Peter's response when Jesus gets down before him He will have nothing of this. Not me, Lord. What was it about Peter 
that made it so difficult for him in that moment when Jesus made himself available in such a way? Was he afraid to be that close? Did he prefer Jesus like so many other people did from a comfortable distance? I think his problem was pride, personally. You know, I'm a person who struggles with pride. Maybe there are some of you here who struggle with pride. You know, in fact, over the years as a minister, I can smell pride, I can see pride, I can hear pride a mile away. People say, how do you know? Well, it's only because I'm so very well acquainted with it in my sorry life that I know that I, when I see it, when I hear it, when I smell it, it is that ugly thing that would say to us that we do not need this intimacy that Jesus desires to bring. Isn't that the problem with so many of us? We long to be important, to matter, to be remembered. The only problem is, is that we're unwilling so many times to be inconvenienced, to take a subordinate role in order for God's work to take place through us. And how especially troubling it is in the church. When all too often we think of our dignity, our prestige, our place, our rights. I tell you, when pride rears its ugly head in my life, in your life, may we all see a picture of the Son of God, Jesus, kneeling at his disciples' feet that night. And observe that serving with love means seeing the need and responding. Because you see, serving with love also sends a message. Later on, beginning with verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. For serving with love sends a message. And that message is rather simple. I believe Jesus is calling us not so much to a specific action, that is foot washing, although I know that there are some fine Christian denominations that give great emphasis to this ritual, and I don't want to poo-poo that at all. But I think Jesus' greater point is that he is pointing out an attitude, that of humble service, 
that it is in performing the lowliest of tasks that everyone else wants to avoid. Maybe because of pride. Maybe because they don't want to be inconvenienced. Whatever the reason, so many of us would do well to reflect on these words from the Apostle Paul found in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It was a 20th century Christian thinker, Francis Schaeffer, who once observed that the hallmark of the Christian faith boils down to this single word, love. Now, don't misunderstand. Schaefer was a philosopher. He had grappled intellectually with the truth claims of Scripture. But he suggests to us that when it's all said and done, he agrees with the Apostle Paul that what remains is this. Love. Jesus said near the end of John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, when Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment, if we're acquainted with the scripture, we know that the command to love is not really a new command. We encounter it often in the Old Testament, as well as here in the New Testament. Now, what is new is not the command itself, but the way the command is carried out. We are to love, brothers and sisters, as Jesus loved. And that involved humbling himself, entering our world, assuming the human condition, and offering himself for our sakes. We read in 1 John 3.16 what the apostle says after a lifetime of following Jesus. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so, that's where we come to today. That is the question I want to leave you to wrestle with this morning. To use the image of the event of John chapter 13, 
In what ways is God calling us by his spirit to wash one another's feet? Or to employ the image that we see in Jesus' crucifixion the next day, in what sense is Jesus calling us to lay down our lives for one another and for others beyond these walls, including those who live around us here in the neighborhood? Or are we ones who are content with Jesus from a safe distance? We love what he has to say. We are impressed by what he can do. You know, the decision of this church to move from where you were on Sheridan, right? To right here at 16th and A. You don't pick up and move a congregation without it being a deliberate, I assume, prayerful choice on the part of those who made up Grace Chapel at that time. And this morning, I just want to remind you of that step that you have taken into our neighborhood. It is a step that our family has also taken into this neighborhood. For 30 years, I lived in another part of our city. I served another congregation, an area of the city that I would characterize as suburban. Nothing wrong with living in the suburbs. In fact, it's, it was a wonderful life that we lived there. But God called us, there's no question in my mind about it, He called us through circumstances, through the recommendations of others, the counsel of people that we know and trust, to plant ourselves right here. In fact, I would say he planted us in this neighborhood. And he's extended to us the invitation to join together with him in this work. And he's extended to you as a congregation an invitation to join together with him in this work, in this neighborhood, to be his yoke fellow, to To get into the harness with Jesus. Where our burdens are easy and light. By the way, (laughs) a lot of us think that come to Jesus, everything is going to be awesome. And yes, it's true. It is awesome to follow Jesus. But it is also very hard. And very discouraging sometimes particularly when you labor in an environment where it feels like you're planting seed, gospel seed, in concrete. But you know, around our house, I have found like there are little crevices where not, not just plants, but weeds, seed has found its way into like these little cracks and it's, the, it's amazing what the power of a plant like that, especially if you don't tend to it long enough, especially if it might be a tree or something, <laughs> how eventually given enough time, you know what? Concrete is no opposition to a little acorn that ultimately is going to become an oak tree in that place. 
I mean, that's what we're about here, brothers and sisters, in this neighborhood. We are sowing the seed. We are watering the plants. And God, to his glory and for his purpose, is bringing the harvest. And I want to suggest to you today that if you're not satisfied with being far removed from Jesus but instead want to be in close companionship with him, that the best way to do that is to join together with him and other believers in this work that he has called us to. For you see, I believe that we will find him our close and intimate companion when we serve not only one another, but the neighbors and the neighborhood outside the walls of these church, this church in love. To serve in our families, to serve our friends, to serve the community around us, to serve in love is his invitation to us today. Heavenly Father, thank you for extending to each of us and all of us together this invitation to take, our, to take your yoke upon ourselves, that yoke that you intended for us, that yoke that fits well because it's what you had in mind for us from before the foundations of this world. That yoke where we find you together with us planting seed and ultimately reaping an incredible harvest, not only for this life, but for all eternity. Oh Lord, I thank you for uprooting Grace Chapel and planting them right smack dab in the middle of this neighborhood. And I thank you for the blessing that this church has been over the last few years. I thank you for the prayers. I thank you for the resources that are being shared. And most of all, I thank you for these brothers and sisters who are willing to lay down their lives for the the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All over the world, and right here in this place that you have not forgotten. In fact, we look forward to seeing how in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead, how you will do a beautiful thing in this part of our city. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.